This is the Press Box. Tyler, are you still there? With Grady and Bischoff. Those two maroons <laughs> can jump on a boat and sail up Lake Mead, never to be seen again. On ESPN Las Vegas. Ah, Billsy, that's when he didn't like us. That's when he would Does he not. like us now? Yeah, I think he does. I think he changed his tune on us. I mean, I think he might still call us maroons to other people, but I think to when he's on our show, I think I think he likes us. We're very nice to Millsy. We're what very about, nice to Millsy. What about the other six point nine days of the week? Other does he like us then? Well, he doesn't listen. Yeah, I don't think he listens? thinks about us. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's listening right now. Never mind if Millsy's up listening. I I think we have no object permanence in any of our guests' no, minds. Exactly, <laughs> unless they are on the air with exactly. us. Exactly, they hang up. Their radio isn't on. It will not be on, and they will not be listening to us. Jared is exactly right. Nobody listens, so they're great. That makes them great guests because they can't hear what we say when they're off the air. <laughs> Listen, J.R. Starkus loves the show. He's yeah, the one. Okay. He's the one. J.R. Starkus loves the show. You guys will not bring down J.R. No, Starkus. No, the rest that... of them do not care about us. No, the rest Starkus of them don't care about us. But J.R. Starkus does care about us. Hi, J.R. <laughs> He's on some kind of weird, like, elliptical or bike right now listening. That kid's up at 3 a.m., like, working out, trying to keep up with the sun. Good luck to you on that. jr has got to realize it's over, man. You are done. The kid gets that, that that good at something, you're done. You have no chance. I know this well. The first bite. The press box first bite today is brought to you by Space Available for Rent. Did the Raiders improve the offensive line during the NFL draft? All right, you know what the hot take is? Yeah, I'm ready. I don't grade drafts. <laughs> it's u- it's a useless exercise. I didn't ask you for a okay, grade because none of us know what the hell we're talking about when it comes to grades. And here's the thing: neither do the Raiders. I have no idea. They just draft people and they hope that these guys are going to be good. So incomplete. Will, exactly. So I will say this, and I don't know how you uh, approach drafts. I sort of look at what are the needs of a team, and did they draft guys in that position? So I think as we go through here today. I'll say that I think they drafted guys in positions of need, and they didn't draft enough guys in positions of need. Starting, though, with the offensive line, I do think they drafted you know a few guys that might be able to compete at spots, right? So I'm, I'm fascinated by what they actually think of Dylan Parham because they draft an offensive lineman from Memphis in the third round, and he played both guard positions. He played right tackle at Memphis, but... Everything I've read, uh, Dane Brugler from The Athletic has him as, like, most NFL teams project him as a center. It's like, okay. And, hell, coming out of high school, he was a tight end. He was a tight end his first year at Memphis before they moved him to offensive line. Um, so the the thing that fascinates me, though, is that the, the, first, the first word used to describe Dylan Parham was versatile. Versatile. Because of how many different offensive line spots he can play. And... To me, when the first thing I hear about a player is versatile, it means one of two things. It either means, A, the guy is so good at so many things that you just have to use him in a lot of different ways, right? And that's like Debo Samuel or in baseball, Shohei Otani. Those guys are versatile, and their teams are like, we want to use this guy in a lot of ways possible. But for most players, when somebody is versatile – It usually just means they're not very good at any one thing. They're just kind of average at everything. And so I'm a little worried that Dylan Parham's not actually going to be any good. And here's the other part that interests me. Did they draft a guy in the third round solely to be a backup? 
Well, but what if he's really good at everything? Well, and first of all, he's not from Memphis. He's from Mississippi. If you listen to Wayne Newton, yeah, well, he's from Mississippi. He's from your. He's from your state. <laughs> Don't tell. I mean, you tell the rest of Tennessee that they'll agree that Memphis is just just Mississippi. But it's it's just like. Hey, listen, it's a third-round pick. It's not like a first-round pick or anything like that. But the Raiders have a clear need on the offensive line. And it just, to me, it felt like they drafted a guy who they expect to be a backup guard and center next year, which is perfectly fine. But if that's who they drafted, they didn't actually make their offensive line better because they've still got four guys starting that aren't very good. Yeah. I, I, again, I... I... I'm not. I'm not going to come up with a clear answer here because he could end up being really good at center. He could end up being really good at guard. In a third round, like you said, maybe you're not expecting him to start, but they're not very good on the offensive line. So if versatile with him means he's good at certain certain spots, he's going to have a really good chance to play a lot. Um, if they had a great offensive line, then I'd agree a guy in the third round who supposedly plays all these positions might just be a backup. But for all we know, he's going to come in and take Andre James' job, or he's going to take Denzel Good's job, and Alex Leatherwood's uh, you know unsafe here. I mean, we both said before the draft they've got to get better at offensive line. They took an offensive lineman, so we'll see if this guy can play. I mean, I tell you what, on this offensive line, he's going to give, give the opportunity, right? It's not like he's going to come in and say, "Well, you know, we're so good on the offensive line, Dylan, you don't have a chance to do anything here." Yeah, um, I if he is average at one position on the offensive line, he probably starts. Yeah. Like yeah. so if he's just simply average at any one of those positions, he's got a decent chance to start because the Raiders right now they have a good left tackle in Colton Miller, their starting center in Andre James was fine last year and then the other three spots are guys that were either injured or, or just not good not at all very last good. year. So if he's just sort of an average guard, then he'll probably start at right guard at some point during the season. Um, one other thing the Raiders did that was uh, confusing to me. Did they make the most confusing set of trades uh, during the draft? Because they traded, they, they were, they were at 126, and they moved up to 122 by trading seventh round picks. And then they decided, you know what? We want 126 back. So they then traded away two fifth round picks to get back to 126 and ended up drafting 122 and 126. Yeah, so I had a sheet at the facility with all the numbers on it, and after like the second trade, I started crossing out numbers <laughs> because I had no idea when they picked. I had to ask people around me, you know, when do they pick? And people had to tell me, yeah, the pick's coming up. I'm like, okay. Because I had, <laughs> at one point, I'm like, the, the, wait, they already had 126, and now I'm circling 126 again. Uh, so had no idea really where they were picking. They traded away 126, and then four picks later said, you know what, we want that. We really like that 126 pick. So, so I call, don't know what, do what they're think, doing. What do you think the Vikings thought of Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler when they traded away 126 and then like two minutes later called him back and said, you know what, we kind of want 126 back. They probably thought we need to deal with these guys more. We'll get three picks out of these guys for the training back for 126. We don't really need 126. So, all right, here's another position that the Raiders drafted. In the fourth and the fifth round of this draft, they drafted two defensive tackles, Neil Farrell from LSU, Matthew Butler from Tennessee. That is in addition to this offseason, the Raiders re-signed Jonathan Hankins, and they brought in four defensive tackles in free agency, like four guys that might have a legitimate chance to make the roster. In total, they now have nine defensive tackles on the roster. Do you have a reasoning for why they drafted two defensive tackles on Saturday. No, and this is where I go back to. I talked about the offensive lineman. I thought 
as I looked at the draft in in complete when when they were done, I was surprised there wasn't you know corners and safeties on there. And I thought, well, and they took two running backs. Although Josh, we'll get to them. And Josh McDaniel said he wants six or seven in the room to start a camp. Okay, that's his prerogative. He's the coach. It's going to be running back by committee anyway. So I'm with you on that. I was interested into why there's so many defensive tackles now on the roster. I can't. I don't have an answer to have nine. Yeah. And I believe, uh, yeah. What do we got in uh, undrafted free agent anymore? No, they actually stopped. Uh. Yeah, they actually stopped and took some safeties and corners. They took three safe. <laughs> they signed three safeties in in the UDFA class. So I don't know why there's nine defensive tackles. Yeah. And, and if I'm Neil Farrell and Matthew Butler, I'm gonna have to show up and play really well, right? And to make the team, it's a fourth and fifth round pick. So it's not like again, it's not like they ruined some first round pick. It's not that big of a deal, but. I mean, Max Crosby and Hunter Renfro were fourth and fifth round picks. So right. You can absolutely right. find good players there. I just thought from a, a numbers standpoint, it was fascinating to see the Raiders take two defensive tackles after that was, I think that was the position they signed the most guys at one spot in free agency. And so you take a fourth and a fifth round pick. And I honestly, right now, I'd be surprised if they both make the roster, right? Yeah, that's why I said they. You're right. They have to play really well, given some of the um, uh, veterans they have and who they signed in free agency. Yeah. I think that they're going to have to play really well to make the team. Maybe one of them does, but how many deep tackles are you carrying during the year? Right, and it, and it's not that the Raiders. It's not that they have like great defensive tackles, like a defensive end, right? They have Max Crosby and Chandler Jones, or what if they play a three-four edge rush, whatever the hell you want to call it. They've got two really good edge rushers, so. Depth at the edge is more about, hey, you're going to give Max Crosby a break for a few snaps in a game. Whereas a defensive tackle, I don't know who the starters would be right now. Hell, both of these guys might be the starters if they're good enough. But you're going to have three interior defensive linemen to start and don't really know who they're going right. to be. So potentially these two guys play their way into it. But right now there's just so many numbers there that you, I don't know, I have a hard time seeing a fourth and a fifth round pick winning spots on yeah. the roster, which again, it's not, it's a fourth and a fifth. It's not like a high draft pick, but if we go into the season and the Raiders have already cut their fourth round pick or something, we're going to look back and say, huh, yeah, that wasn't very good. Especially when that was, you know, like their second highest pick in the draft. Yeah. And I think uh, you, you go back to Ngakwe was replaced with Chandler Jones, obviously on the edge, like you said, they're really, really good. Um, nine. I mean, how, how many, I'll go back to my question. How many do you carry? Five. So six, how many defensive tackles do you usually carry? Some of it, yeah, it's well, because if they're going to play like the three, four, and so they're going to technically have three interior linemen, it's probably five, maybe six would be the number that you carry there. Um, and the other part of that is Cleveland Furl might be considered an interior. He might be, yeah, he might be inside. We don't know, yeah. He, I'm sure they're going to keep him and, and potentially use him as depth at both the inside and the outside, but yeah, there, there's a chance, you know, there's going to be a decent of these guys that they keep around but it's still a matter of okay you were drafted in the fifth round are you going to beat out guys that actually have you know played in, played NFL, in the games? NFL right maybe they do right but it's just then then that makes their free agent signings look like a little bit of a waste it's like oh you spent time in free agency signing guys just to cut them right before the season starts so from a roster standpoint picking two defensive tackles I just didn't make a lot of sense it's I just don't. 
kind of look around and say, okay, I, I guess it's not the end of the world, but it's not the, I don't know. It, it didn't feel like the optimization of the positions they could have drafted in the NFL draft. Do they think they're better at corner than we think they're better at corner or deep in corner? They signed Sam Webb from Missouri Western, a corner in their, in their uh, undrafted free agent class. They've got three safeties. I thought they'd take a corner. I thought they'd take uh, at least one corner in, 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 in the draft. So they're going in Rock Yassin and right. Trayvon Mullen as, as the starters. two starters, and then Nate Hobbs presumably as the starting slot corner. Uh, the the pro- that's probably fine. Those three. I think the issue is they don't really have any depth behind no. them. They sign they sign the Averett guy from Baltimore, who's a slot corner. So they they have depth behind Nate Hobbs, but on the outside, I don't know who their third mm. best outside corner is. I'm happy and- if I'm Sam Webb from Missouri Western. <laughs> Because at least I'm not a defensive tackle. Is is Missouri Western real? Is that a real place? Uh, yeah, I, I as someone who lived in Missouri, yes, Missouri Western was real, do, do, and I remember that they had a high school there that you could go to. Do they play seven on seven, or do they play full tackle eleven on eleven football? I just know that a lot of people went like during summer would get college credit from them. <laughs> that was what they were famous for. Was you could get college credit as a high schooler by going there. <laughs> Did so. they draft a guy from CSN of Missouri? Again, yeah, kind of. <laughs> All right, coming up next, we'll stick right here with the NFL draft because none of these quarterbacks got taken very high except for Kenny Pickett. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Ed, you know you can give out draft kids after the draft, right? Uh, you can, but I don't. You can though. Like you don't have to draft. You don't have to give out draft grades and say this guy's gonna be a star. But if you're the New England Patriots and you draft a guy in the first round that the Rams said they thought they were gonna get at 104, you can give the Patriots an F. Check. Jared, incomplete. <laughs> incomplete. We don't know. It's Belichick. The guy's gonna be incomplete. He's even gonna be if the pro. guy, but even if he's an All Pro, you could have drafted him at 100. No. That's, and got an what, all pro there that's and what got the Rams another all pro in the first that's round. what the Rams are saying maybe they don't maybe the Rams don't know what the hell they're doing they won the Super Bowl by, by trading everybody this is just drafting they don't like to draft people anyway they could be completely buffoons when it comes to drafting it's they just trade just, away their draft picks it's not just everybody's mock draft had the guy oh from, see here the the don't get me started had. on mock drafts I, I sat next to a guy who uh you can just uh, call him Adam Hill. You don't no, have to call him a wasn't, guy. No, it wasn't Adam Hill. Someone at the facility who also did a mock draft said he did nothing but read like two things, and he got hit like six straight guys. And he All did right. not, he, he did nothing. And then you have guys who like, you know, do it twenty four hours a day and sit up and, and read everything and want to do everything, and they don't do that well. So I, right. I don't I don't put any stock into it. Not, not you, I don't yes. put any stock into it. The guy who did a mock draft after looking at two minutes of information yeah, and probably misspelled three guys' names. Yeah, and he hit not like six straight. The mock straight. draft you look at. I don't look the at mock drafts. You look at is the people who break down no. 275 players, and all 275 get drafted because those guys know what they're talking about. They don't. Those are the ones they you don't. look at. Where did the mock drafts have Hunter Renfro? Right where he got picked. <laughs> we don't know that. We don't remember that. You don't remember where Hunter Renfro yes. was in a mock draft. No, you don't. He, you have no idea. The, he was mocked in the middle rounds. <laughs> no, he was don't. a he was a third to fifth round pick. Why, yeah, why didn't the mock drafts have him in the first round then? He he wasn't a first round receiver. Well, he turned out to be one. Would you do you think they do you think teams that drafted in the first round would go back right now and say, Yeah, I'd take Hunter Renfro instead of that guy in the first round? Probably not. 
He was like the fifth He's best, like the best in that draft. route runner in the NFL right now, about to get a huge deal. Max Crosby, you think someone would go back right now yes. and say, mm, let's yes. see, that guy they went would... the fourth round. I should have taken him in the first. No, they wouldn't say that. They, they would have said <laughs> I should have taken him in the third They'd round. They'd take him in a second. No, they should have taken the, him in the, the third round. The mock drafts are stupid. They're dumb. I don't grade it, people. I don't look at mock listen, drafts. I'll tell you about, how good Dylan Far- Parnum is in three years. That's when I'll tell you how good he is. You grade drafts the day after on value. No. If you draft Who's a guy value? Who, who was a fifth-round pick by most teams and you drafted him in the second round, yeah. you did bad. You Even didn't. You don't know good. if you did bad. You don't know this. You yes, don't know no, this. You no, you don't. Because you could have gotten that guy in the fifth round and also Maybe gotten c- another good player in the second round. But you took him in the second round and threw away your chance of getting another good player. Unless the team next to you afterwards takes him in the second round and they, they end up having a, a, an all-pro also. This is, they, this is something I'll argue to the end. I don't look at math drafts and I don't grade. I'll tell you how the good the guy is in three years. We'll, we tell, we'll tell you how good Dylan show. Parnum is in three years. We have a, sh- a segment on the show called Grainy's Grades. I think you're contractually obligated. No, I'm not contractually I never signed a contract to be on this show. <laughs> okay, so if somebody had taken Carson Strong in the second round, you'd be telling us today that you don't know if that was a good pick or not? No, I would just say, okay, Carson Strong, let's see how good he is. They get, he Carson Strong got $350,000, the highest uh, the highest uh, bonus in the in the UD- UDFA class. Maybe maybe someone's, Maybe a lot of teams screwed up. Maybe and if the Raiders had drafted him in round three, you'd be telling us you don't know if that was a good pick or not. I would, I would absolutely tell you that. Maybe Carson Strong comes in and, and, and is the backup, and he's ready to go when Derek goes down. We don't know. If they it's a complete taken, mystery. This stuff's a complete mystery. If they mystery. had taken Carson Strong in round three, it would have been the worst pick of the NFL draft. You don't know that. I, do, I, I 100% <laughs> you do know, not that know that. Because not another. No other team in the NFL the only viewed thing, Carson Strong as a draftable player because nobody else drafted The, the only thing I do, like I told you, is like with the Raiders. Per, the example with the Raiders. I was surprised they took a second running back. Like, I'll be surprised like they that when you look at a team and say, here's your first need, but what we think is a need, offensive line, because they didn't play well last year, second need, third need, and then see what position they draft at. But when they draft positions, I don't grade players. Nor do I grade. Nor do I grade where they drafted them. We'll see in the. We'll see. We'll see in the future. We'll so see if Britton any one Brown, of these guys are good. I'm so not questioning Britton Bill Brown Belichick. I'm not going to question Bill Britton Belichick. All he does. He all he does should. is. All all Bill Belichick does is win rings. So I'm not going to question yeah. Bill Belichick of where he takes guys. All that guy does he is win. Playoff game in like he hasn't won a playoff game in like three or four years. He's got nothing but rings. This guy. Now we're going to. Now we're ripping Bill Belichick like one of the greatest coaches ever. Come on. If they don't, it listen, he hasn't won anything in like three or four years. I question the guy. Oh, God, you would, you're the only one who questions Bill Belichick. But that, that's not a surprise. Like that's not years. a surprise that you're the only one who's questioning Bill Belichick. They, they spent a whole season counting on Cam Newton to be good. Whose decision was that? That was a terrible decision. Who picked Tom Brady in the sixth round? Bill Belichick three <laughs> Bill decades Belichick. ago. Bill Belichick. Who cares? If you, who's, your, who's your football team? Who's your football team? I forget who your football I, team. Do you have I a football don't really team? Have one. You don't my really have one. Fantasy football okay. team. Yeah, oh well, you fantasy. Let, okay, and let well, me tell it to you this way in fantasy football terms. All right, um, let's take a who's a random running back. Uh, let's take Brees Hall, who the Jets just drafted. Right. Let's say you go into your fantasy football league and you think Brees Hall is going to be the number one running back in fantasy football. Are you drafting him in the first round? If I think he is, yeah. Yeah, but it's just my opinion. Yeah, I, well, it might be your opinion. Be your opinion. Pick. Your opinion might be completely different. Right, I, even, I won my league. Did you? 
No, but okay. even if you think. <laughs> then I think I know more about fantasy football. I've won but, my league like two out of three years. But even if you think <laughs> Brees Hall is going to be the number one running back, you don't take him in the first round because he's maybe I be do available in like the third or fourth round. Maybe I do because at the end of the year, I like rings and money. But you're not going to win if you do that because you, you don't know that. I running back. You don't know who I drafted. You don't know who I drafted last year to win my league. I don't you even draft, remember. I just know Jamar I won the Chase. thing. What I round just, did you draft Jamar Chase in? I have no idea. I just know I won. You didn't <laughs> draft him in round one because Jamar Chase wasn't a first-round pick. We're not going to agree on this. You We're not going to agree on this. Drafting Jamar it's Chase not going to happen. Four. I don't grade drafts, and I don't, I don't, I don't grade drafts. I don't have a I'm telling drafts. you that you can. I don't, and I you won't. Can it's it's perfectly. Well, I can fine do anything I want drafts. actually because yeah. I'm an adult. <laughs> but I'm not going to grade a draft, and I'm not going to rip Belichick for taking that guy where he took him just because Sean McVay wanted to have a little laugh. Sean McVay has done a great job trading Are away draft picks. Are you going to say picks. Sean McVay doesn't know what he's doing? Well, Sean McVay knows what he's doing in free agency. I don't know how much he knows in the draft because all he does is trade away draft picks to get the compensatory because he likes to have big-time free agents, which, again, worked out for Sean McVay because he, he won a Super Bowl. I, I don't think Sean McVay is the GM. He's the coach. Well, I would think, well, I would think Sean McVay has some say in it, I would hope. I mean, what if well, there Belichick. are head coaches around here we don't know how to say in it, according to the GM, but that's a different that's a different sport. Maybe Bill Belichick should have traded his first-round pick away to get an all-pro and then drafted that Cole Strange guy in the third round instead of the first round. I don't know. Maybe Cole Strange is great. I hope, I hope Cole Strange becomes the greatest player <laughs> in the history of the Patriots. I can come back and say, see? Well, it was an automatic. It's going to be hard for him to be the greatest player in the history. Of <laughs> well, the you know, maybe, maybe okay, maybe the second, second maybe the second greatest player in the history of the Patriots. <laughs> you can give out draft grades, Ed. You can do it. Um, can can we get? Uh, well, we'll ask you this on the Patriots. Why did they draft a quarterback? They drafted Bailey Zappi from Western Kentucky. Did they draft a guy to be a backup, or do you think they've got questions about Mac Jones? I think Bailey's a backup. B for okay. backup. I think Bailey's going to be backup. The funniest part about the Bailey Zappi conversations is I saw two different people say, this guy's going to be a great backup quarterback for a long time. Well. Are we drafting guys because he's going to be a great backup for a long, or do we really draft guys and think, you know what his ceiling is? Now that I would hope. 33rd best quarterback in the league. That I would hope does not happen or that people don't say that because I don't think you should pick people based on backups. You might need a backup right now. And you might believe in you might believe in Mac Jones. I get that. And you say, hey, we don't like the depth behind him. We think this guy could be the backup. But I wouldn't draft a guy if I think in ten years he's still the backup. Or that are I you move questioning on. Bill Belichick? No, I'm not questioning Bill Belichick. You're asking me about if I think he's going to be backup or would I draft his backup? Here's here's what I think in drafts. Why would you draft someone? No matter where you draft him, like the the kid you don't like um, from Bill Belichick, right? The kid you don't like, Cole where, where, Strange, huh? Cole, Cole Strange. Strange, Cole Strange. Do you think they drafted him to be a backup that high? I gotta hope that it was the exactly. First round pick. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I don't think my mind would go to. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Did Bill Belichick say he's going to be a backup, or is this just draft gurus? Draft Bill gurus Belich- believe he's going to be a backup. He was going to be picked very soon, and at the same time, Sean McVay said we wanted him at 104. Are we back to the? Are we back to uh, the other guy? We're not. We're not on the quarterback anymore. Like I said, um, who said he's going to be a backup for his career? Did Bill Belichick say that? No, no Bill not, Belichick didn't say that. It's these draft gurus who think they know actually, everything. I'm gonna have to go find. Him. He might have said that. I don't know. That he's going to be a backup for his he entire might. career. I mean, did so well. 
probably he probably didn't say for his entire. Should career, I just call but... the guest and tell him that we've got an argument brewing? <laughs> <laughs> no, we got to get to Ben Ghost anyway. The because... argument's over. Ben Ghost gets Scott <laughs> joins the show next. We are back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Before we get to the hockey, I cannot find Bill Belichick talking about their NFL draft. Did you find his dog talking about it? No, I found their I found the Patriots fake general manager or director of player personnel talking about it. Dave but Ziegler? I can't <laughs> But I can't I can't find actual Belichick quotes on, on Bailey Zappi. I can't it doesn't exist. So I can't he maybe thinks he's a backup and didn't want to tell anybody. Joining us now from the Review Journal is Ben. Good morning, Ben. How hey, ben. are you? Morning, not too bad, guys. Not too right. bad. Hold on. Before we get to oh, hockey for here. God's sake. Um, Welcome back to Twitter. Thank you. It's very exciting. I'm happy to be back. I'm happy I've got some NFTs. If anyone's interested, please contact me. You know, when I was out in the void, got really into crypto. So, but now it's good to be back among the regular people. Can you, can you give us a little rundown of like the horror of how you realized or when you realized that your Twitter account had been hacked in the middle of the biggest game of the year for the Golden Knights? Yeah. So I'm, you know, chilling in the lovely American Airlines Center press box. Jason Robertson scores to make it 2-2 in a tie game in the third period of, as you said, a critical game for the Golden Knights playoff hopes. And I get a normal text on my phone from Twitter saying, hey, did you log in from India? Because someone's trying to log into your Twitter account from India. And so I'm half watching this game. Half because I have like the two factor um, authentication on my phone, trying to text these like codes to Twitter saying, please don't do this. Don't let this happen. And I think while I'm in like the process of trying to unsuccessfully multitask this, the hacker is like so fast that they turn off the two factor authentication uh, before I can like complete this process. Like all of a sudden, then my Twitter account is delinked for my phone number. They changed my email address to something incomprehensible. So I'm out of there. And so then I'm just like half watching the game, half texting like a group of friends, basically being like, please monitor my Twitter account. Please make sure that nothing weird happens while I like report this. And I'm now have to focus on like the rest of this game. And by like the end of the third period, I'm getting like screenshots that are like, yes, well, you're really into crypto now, I guess. <laughs> and so I just had to wallow in those screenshots for about 36 hours. And luckily, I actually got it back faster than I thought. But rough time. Rough time to be off Twitter when the Knights uh, yeah, had to finish out that game and then officially got eliminated the next day when I still did not have Twitter in Chicago. Benjamin, we're going to throw you a yeah. for, we're gonna throw you front toss here. It's going to be an easy one to come up. Ready? Who gets fired? Ready. Who gets fired? So based on, you know, what I kind of observed being around that team on that road trip, it certainly didn't seem like Pete DeBoer was optimistic or necessarily expecting to be back. Now we'll see if that ends up being the case. I think he is the easy fall guy if they decide to go that route. Um, obviously the – Management team can point to injuries and say, look, if we had the injuries turned, you know, on 50, if we're talking about like an NHL 2022 scale, like zero to hundred, like if we had the injuries, you know, at average, we make the playoffs easily. Instead, we had them at like 90. We still believe in this roster, but if 
they think they still need a fall guy. It seems like Pete is the most logical choice, especially because of how he handled the goaltending down the stretch here. I think you could talk me into, and maybe they still ultimately will go this route, um, keep it in because I do think overall he is a good coach. But the way he handled Robin Leonard down the stretch there remains pretty inexplicable in terms of the public messaging around Leonard versus what ultimately happened with him needing season-ending shoulder surgery right before the last road trip of the regular season. It's a struggle for me to see those two coexisting next year and based on the fact that Robin Leonard has three years left on his contract at a $5 million average annual value. I think it would be real tough for the Knights to move on from him if they even wanted to. I think you're likely looking at a coaching change, but who knows? I could be wrong. This team has seemingly surprised me at almost every turn with some of its decision-making for good and for ill. So I'm curious when and if we actually get some kind of news coming down about what changes are coming. On the Leonard and goaltending decisions, do we believe that was fully Pete DeBoer, or do we think there was more to it from the front office that sort of dictated what DeBoer and Leonard did at the end of the season? Oh, I'm absolutely sure that there was involvement you know, with the front office. Obviously, there's the fact that Robin Leonard backed up against the San Jose Sharks in the final home game of the regular season, and certainly in warm-ups did not appear to be a guy that was, you know, locked in, all in, like, ready to jump off to help this team. I think that was almost certainly what you can point to as a front office decision. But I think just the messaging for me is what probably is going to get make it really tough for those two to work together again. Just the fact that, obviously, Pete comes out um, after pulling him from that Washington Capitals game saying, hey, he's healthy, he's fresh. And then a couple days later, when kind of pushed on that, when Leonard's not at practice saying, like, look, like, he's not 100%, but nobody's 100% this time of year. As far as I'm concerned, like, he's physically ready to play and basically implying if he's physically ready to play, I am going to judge him on that basis. And then, obviously, a couple days later, Robin Leonard has shoulder surgery, so he was uh, not quite, you know, healthy and fresh and, like, 100% physically ready to play. And then when Pete's asked about that, he's basically like, I'm just going to refer to the statement and I'm just concerned about the guys that were here tonight and didn't even kind of offer a courtesy. Like, look, Leonard battled through some stuff. We're hoping he gets the, you know, treatment he needs and comes back ready to go next season. It was more just, Nope, not even focused on that focus on the guys here. So there just doesn't seem to be, you know, a lot of, uh, Back and forth there, give and take, a lot of kind of warm regards being sent out by Pete DeBoer in regards to Robin Leonard. So I do think that part is on him specifically, but I do think obviously in terms of the usage and how all of this was handled, obviously you have to lay a lot of that at the front office's feet as well. Uh, it's funny because everyone always assumed with the flurry situation that was Leonard was, was Pete's guy, um, and it will probably be hard to move him. But if, in fact, they could do that, have you seen enough evidence from uh, from Logan Thompson that he could be a full time goalie, or is there still not a lot of uh, still not a lot of evidence there? I definitely think he can be a full time NHL goalie in terms of a guy. If you are entering the season with legitimately Stanley Cup aspirations, which is what I think this team will be trying to do heading into next season, but we're definitely not there yet. Uh, obviously, Logan Thompson I think gave the Golden Knights just about everything 
they could have hoped for from a guy that entered the season as their third string goalie. Um, but he's still a guy with uh, like 18 NHL appearances under his belt. He hasn't kind of made the full, you know, turn around the league yet. He's seen some teams twice, but obviously, you know, this summer, if he comes back and is kind of a either, you know, part-time starter, you know, full-time backup with the Knights, other teams are now going to have a book on him that they didn't have before, and that's going to make it more difficult for him. We even kind of saw that in St. Louis where Jordan Bennington goes on that insane, crazy run um, as a rookie, wins the Stanley Cup with the St. Louis Blues, ends up getting a nice contract for himself, but he has not been nearly the same guy since that kind of incredible run to the Stanley Cup because eventually, obviously, the book kind of comes out on guys and the league adjusts to you and you have to see whether you either can adjust back or whether you're not going to be able to. So I think Logan Thompson definitely is a place in the NHL. And for a guy that was undrafted, had to go to Canadian college to kind of further his career, that's an incredible accomplishment for him. But if you're the Knights, I don't think you can enter next season with him as like your one or your one a, even if you decide to move on from Robin Leonard, I think you need to find another strong uh, option in that if you're going to, you know, consider yourself and actually talk about yourself like you're going to be one of the, you know, kind of top, you know, eight or so teams fighting for the Stanley Cup in 2023. Ben, before we let you go, I want to give you a new nickname. Um, can we now just start calling you Ben FT? Oh, I am absolutely for this. <laughs> I'm just going to steer, steer right into that big old kid. Be great. <laughs> well, he is Ben FT Gotts from the Review Journal. Ben, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, Ben. No problem, guys. Oh, I listen. I have to imagine it's kind of horrifying when part of your job revolves around using Twitter, and I'm probably be horrified if it happened to me. But I've seen it happen a few times where some random NFT takes hacks into somebody's account and takes it over, and it's always funny. I mean, I was just glad to learn that it was an NFT and not. Well, since Elon Musk bought Twitter or yeah. is buying Twitter, Ben has decided to try to get his account reinstated after those comments he made. It's got to right, be coming up next. scary. Yeah, it is, especially when you're in the middle of covering a game because your your attention is divided, and all of a sudden your Twitter account's tweeting out pictures of weird NFTs called imaginary friends or something like that. Coming up next, we'll jump into some UNLV basketball because. They got another commit over the weekend. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. I just want you guys to know Bischoff's briefs is going to be incredible today. It's not going to be anything that's in the rundown. Completely new Bischoff's briefs. But Uh-oh. UNLV added a new transfer. Isaiah Cottrell is transferring into UNLV from West Virginia. Last two years at West Virginia after he uh, went to Bishop Gorman, went to West Virginia after high school. He actually started 28 games last year for West Virginia, but only played 16 minutes per game, average four points per game. He is a top 300 recruit, or not recruit, excuse me, transfer, according to Evan Maya. And remember, there's I think we're getting close to 1,500 players in the transfer portal. Um, Ed, are, are you going to give us a grade on Isaiah Cottrell? I will not. I will. Is it Bischoff's briefs going to be your ins- insecurity? 
I'm gonna. I'm going to win it's, our argument. No, see, you are you're like the most insecure dude I've ever met in my life. Like you can't like just leave it at an argument. You have to like now now change the entire. I I can't wait to hear it. I'm not gonna agree with one thing you say, but it just goes to my my perception of how insecure you are. But go ahead. I've already won the argument. It's already you're so insecure. <laughs> I know so many people say when you have to come back at something at like Grady's that. Funeral people at laugh at it. It's in, you're insecure. But go ahead. Ed Graney's funeral at 9.15. Insecurity. Um, so Isaiah Cottrell now comes in to UNLV, and he is uh, a front court player. So right now they have three front court players, Victor Ewalker, David Mawaka, and Isaiah Cottrell. This sort of fits in with the entire theme of the offseason for UNLV, but Isaiah Cottrell hasn't really done much of anything offensively in his career at West Virginia. He's been a below average shooter from mid range, a below average shooter from three and slightly below average when finishing at the rim, though granted very small sample sizes because he didn't shoot a whole lot at West Virginia. But I think their three front court options, Ewalker, Mawaka and Cottrell, not that they're all the same player, but they're all going to offer the same type of thing where offensively, you're not really going to get a whole lot from those guys, but the plan is for those guys to be good defensively next season and that fits into the entire theme of the entire roster yeah. where we're still kind of looking around wondering okay who's scoring for this team even though they might only give up seven points the entire season second guy from west virginia now on the team yeah joins jordan mccabe um came over last year you know he played for huggins so i'm sure he's you know i don't know why he left but um maybe because he wasn't averaging you know more than four points and he wanted a bigger role although he started 28 games uh, so I'd, my, assume, my assumption is a tough kid who plays defense, and that's what you just said. I mean, everyone they're signing, the first thing we hear is about them defensively. Um, 59, 58 games, I guess, but, you know, if they win a lot. That's my other question. In the past, it's always been about style with UNLV basketball and people here in town expecting a certain style. They haven't won in forever. So my interest would be if they are going to have a lot of 64-60s or 64-58, which is fine, but they're winning a ton of them, how do you think the fans will react? Because they haven't been in the NCAA tournament since 2013. So what if he changes the entire look of his team, and it appears he's trying to do that, and they're just kind of this really gritty defensive-minded team? Do you think that will play well with the fan base here? I mean, yeah. I think winning should. I don't care how the guy wins. They haven't won in forever. Let Just win. Just go to the NCAA tournament. But it's just some kind of weird fan thing here where they want them to play a certain way. UNLV, if they won every game two to nothing, the fans would come back faster than if they went 18 and 15 but played the most exciting 130 yeah. to 125. I mean, I hope they would. Basketball. And I, I don't think style of play matters at all for UNLV right now. This is it, It's solely about can this team get even even close to the NCAA to the NCAA tournament, tournament. Not, not even in it at right. this point just right. get to the NCAA tournament have a like when we get to the final five games of the year have a path to winning the Mountain West title right be like well if you go five and right. oh and right Colorado State goes three and two UNLV wins the title. like yeah it, have a path with five games left for you to win I mean the I Mountain hope West you're right I, I hope you're right because I just think that they, they just need to win and go to the NCAA tournament. How they do that, who cares? Um, I just remember in the past, and maybe it was a long time ago, that that was the whole theme around here. Like, you know, when UCLA was playing the way it does or did, it's like, oh, we don't want to play like that. Well, UCLA went to like three out of four Final Fours under Ben Howland. It's like, yeah, you wouldn't take that. So however he plays, I think you're right, because um, they've lost for so long that if they start winning, I think people come back and really don't care how. Just 
quickly looking back here, none of Lon Kruger's teams were in the top 100 in tempo. One ninety two, two twenty three, one fifty six, one ten. Lon Kruger's teams were. I mean, that, that's not slow, but Lon Kruger's teams were not fast. UNLV, by the way, last year two thirty in tempo. They were very slow last year. So, I I think it's mostly irrelevant. Dave Rice came in and they played pretty fast under Dave Rice, but mostly irrelevant how fast they play or what style they play. Given that this team again, two thousand thirteen is the last time they went to the NCAA tournament. The last time they won an NCAA tournament game was 2008. That's so, the other thing. They haven't even won one since 2008. Right. We keep saying 2013. They just went. Yeah. Kruger went his last two years out in the first round. Dave Rice went his first two years out in the first round. And they haven't been back since. And they haven't won since 2008. So it's Jeez. I. it does not matter. If they average 41 points per game, but they're 25 and 3, then... It's irrelevant. They're going to be fans are going to start showing back up to watch them play, even if they're playing ugly, low scoring basketball. Winning is what matters because they haven't done it in so long. I mean, 2008, they haven't yeah. won a tournament game since. We're over a that decade since the tournament win. I mean, and we're getting we're getting close to a decade Jeez. without an NCAA tournament without appearance. even a berth. Yeah, so it's just find Man. a way to win. And, and if Kevin Kruger finds a way to win with this roster. Good for him. If they win games with great defense and Donovan Williams taking a big enough step offensively, great for UNLV, even if it's ugly.